Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Good to be with you. I, I really appreciate Mike's lesson from last week. Uh, real blessing to me. I'm sure it was you too, but it's good to be home. It's good to be back. And we are jumping right back into our sermon series, uh, Make It Count. And we are talking about the idea that our days are numbered. And so we need to make the most of our days. Because last time I checked, none of us are getting out of here alive. The mortality rate, at least in central Florida, is still hovering right around 100%. So... Um, I began this series by asking the question, what is your life? And I told you that the Bible had an answer for that question. And every answer that the Bible gives, every metaphor that the Bible uses about our lifespan, all emphasize the brevity of life. Life is a vapor. It's a mist. Smoke. A shadow. Withered grass. Here today, gone tomorrow. And the Bible consistently counsels us to be realigning our priorities with the reality that life is short. It was Woody Allen who said, I don't fear death. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> We're all going to be there you know, when it happens. But Scripture tells us that knowing that and knowing and living our lives with the end in sight is actually very liberating. A guy was telling a friend, my, my grandfather accurately predicted the year that he was going to die. In fact, he predicted the month that he was going to die. He went so far as to predict the very day of the month that he would die. In fact, he predicted the time of day that he would die. And they all came true. And his friend said, wow, how did he know that? The guy said, well, the judge told him. <laughs> so yes, there are a few exceptions but for most of us, we have no idea how much more time we have here in this world. You know, I keep telling you, one day we're going to all own a memorial, some kind, of, some kind of something that has three things on it. Our name, the day we were born, and the day we died. And we didn't have anything to do with that first date. And we don't know when that second date will be. The only thing that we can control is the dash between the two. We get to decide how we live our dash. The Bible says there are wise ways to live your dash, and there are foolish ways to live your dash. Which, of course, makes absolutely no sense if you're not a believer in God. Okay? None of that really matters if you don't believe in God. I mean, if you think you're just a collection of cells, you know, thrown together and kind of, you know, ended up over billions of years of uh, uh, evolution... Live your dash however you want. What's it matter? You know, do whatever you want to do. But if you believe that you were created in God's image, that you were created on purpose, and that you have a purpose, then we need to be considerate and considering how it is we're going to go about living our lives. And what is life about? And Jesus is constantly kind of redirecting conversations back to that question. What are we doing here? What are we called to be doing here while we're living this life? So, for example, a man comes to him in Luke chapter 12. says, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. 
Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them. Now notice, one guy asked the question. But Jesus answers the entire crowd because Jesus understands, okay, everybody in this crowd is kind of wrestling with this same question. You know, why exactly are we here? So Jesus says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Jesus understood when this guy asked the question that it wasn't just him, that, that everybody in the crowd, as well as us, are all kind of wrestling with that same kind of issues. You know, what, what are our priorities? This man's question, it wasn't about Jewish law, and it wasn't about justice. It was about what was most important in his life. So Jesus says, let me talk about what's really important and what's not so important. Because Jesus is constantly trying to get us to view our lives from a different paradigm. To see life through the lens of the spiritual not just the material, to realize that even though our life is short, it comes with eternal consequences, that the things that matter aren't things. So Jesus did what he does pretty often. He tells a story. By the way, this story he's about to tell, it's only the second story, one of the only two stories that Jesus tells where the main character dies. A little bit of trivia for you. Here's the story. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you prepared for yourself? And Jesus goes on to actually give an explanation of the story that he just told. He doesn't always do that, but he, he does in this instance. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Now notice, there is absolutely nothing in this story that indicates that this man was dishonest, that indicates that, the, that he was trying to cheat anyone, there, there's nothing to indicate that he took advantage of someone, that he wasn't fair to his workers, that he withheld their wages, anything like that. By all accounts, this is a moral, honest man who apparently works hard, and he had a really good year. And he's wondering, how do I handle all this success? Of course, Jesus has a different way to measure success. On the 100th anniversary of Hamilton College, the school invited their most famous alumni, um, Alexander Wolcott, who wrote for the New York Times at, at that point in his life, to come back and, and give a speech to the school. And here's how he began his speech. I send my greetings today to all of my fellow alumni at Hamilton College scattered all over the world. Some of you are successes. Some of you are failures. And only God knows which is which. You know what? He's right. Because heaven and earth define success very differently. Look again at verse 15 in this story that Jesus tells. Then he said to them, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. 
Your translation might be, life is not measured by how much you own. So when you stand before God, and we all will one day stand before God, He will not ask, how big was your barn? That won't be a question that we'll get when we stand before God. Jesus is constantly warning us, do not waste your days building bigger barns. I've told you this before. Jesus talks about money more than anything else with the exception of the kingdom. And the ironic thing is, we believe everything that Jesus says about the kingdom and almost nothing of what he says about money. That's why he says, watch out. Be on your guard. He actually is going to give us several warnings in this story that he just tells. First, he warns us, our barns will not add time to our dash. Now, we need to hear this. We need to know this. Because a foolish person is going to think like barn guy thinks. I've got a lot of money, so I've got a lot of time. I'll say to myself, you've got plenty of good things laid up for many years. Do you hear the assumption that this man makes? I've got a lot of possessions, so it stands to reason that I've got a lot of time. I've got myself set up for many years. The amount of stuff that I have somehow has a bearing on the amount of time that I have. Here's the reality for just about all of us. Just about all of us in this room. We're going to run out of time before we run out of money. We just are. We live in America. We're going to run out of time before we run out of money. But one of Satan's greatest illusions is to somehow convince us that prosperity equals security. In other words, if I can just get my bank account in the right place, if I can get my retirement funded well enough, that somehow I can control the future. And that's why when the stock market crashes, everybody panics. And that's why so many people are workaholics. Because we buy into that lie, if I just have enough money, I can control my destiny. And Scripture says, if you're thinking that way, you're a fool. I mean, really. Do you really think that living in a 5,000 square foot house means you have less of a chance to get cancer than someone living in a 500 square foot apartment? Or do you really think that if you drive a $70,000 car that you're less likely to be hit by a drunk driver than if you drove a $7,000 car? Somehow, we have this strange belief that, that if we're affluent, we can secure or at least deserve more time here on earth. And yeah, money can buy a lot of things. It cannot buy more days. Jesus is really clear on this. He says, listen, you are a fool if you are spending your dash on barns. I heard a story about a, a law professor who taught law at USC, School of Law. And he, he taught an uh, entry-level class, a prerequisite. And every semester, he would start his, uh, his course by asking the students the question, why are you taking this class? 
And someone would raise their hand and say, it's a requirement. We have to take this class. And then he would ask, then what? Well, then we'll be able to take the rest of our required classes. Then what? Then we'll be able to decide what kind of law we want to focus on. Then what? Well, then hopefully we'll graduate from USC Law School. Then what? Then hopefully we'll pass the bar. Then what? Well, then we'll get a job somewhere, hopefully a good job. Then what? Well, then we'll work hard and hopefully we'll be successful, maybe make partner one day, make a lot of money. Then what? Then we'll retire. We'll live the good life. Then what? And someone would be, you know, kind of exasperated and say, well, then we die. And the wise professor would ask, then what? Our possessions will not add time to our dash. Now, it can, it can change how we spend our dash. So barn guy says, I've got so much stuff. I need a place to put all my stuff. I'm going to take it easy. I'm going to live the good life. I'm going to eat. I'm going to drink. I'm going to be merry, which is the second foolish assumption that he makes. He assumed that his cash would somehow add joy to his dash. But Jesus is really clear. Our barns will not add joy to our dash. No barn guy believed the same thing that our culture is trying to sell. An abundance of stuff means an abundance of joy one of Satan's most popular delusions. Heard someone say that Americans believe in life, liberty, and the purchase of happiness. <laughs> it's pretty accurate, isn't it? Listen, I have lived in some very affluent parts of our country, and I have lived in some very poor parts of our country, and you don't need me to tell you that there is heartache in every zip code. And I have seen no correlation between having a lot of stuff and having a lot of joy. And you're a fool if you believe that possessions will add joy to your dash. Let me show you a picture of an interesting guy. This man's name is Amu Haggai. He is supposedly the world's dirtiest man. Apparently, he holds the world record for not taking a bath. He hasn't taken a bath in over 68 years. There was a time when I thought my youngest son was vying for this record, but uh, this guy owns the record. 68 years without taking a bath. He lives in a hole. He eats roadkill. That is animal dung that he is smoking from his pipe. And yet, villagers will tell you, He's the happiest guy they know. And you look at your own life. You look at your own past. Isn't it true that some of the happiest, most joyful, most contented people you know didn't have a whole lot as far as worldly possessions? I think about people in my past. Some of the kindest, gentlest, most wonderful people, some of the most joyful people who loved life had very little when it came to worldly possessions. 
You know, we're a fool if we think that we can find joy in things that are going to depreciate and, and rust and fade away. I know I've told you this before. Everything I own is junk. It just hasn't got there yet. Every single thing that I have, one day is going to be leveled, it's going to be given away, it's going to be done away, no one's going to want it anymore. It's all junk. It just hasn't got there yet. And I'm a fool if I think that I'm going to find joy in things that's going to one day end up in a landfill. Joy doesn't come by filling a barn. It comes by being filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul would write in Romans 15, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. A fool won't see that. And a fool won't experience that either. And then finally, Jesus warns us, our barns will not add meaning to our dash. You know who barn guy is most focused on? Himself. You know the people who are least likely to admit that you know, life is uh, short? People focused on themselves. People who are selfish. This guy lives completely for himself. He doesn't mention anybody else as he recounts his life. He speaks to himself. He plans for himself. He parties with himself. He, he congratulates himself. Why didn't he mention anybody else as he's thinking back on his life? Why didn't he mention God? Why didn't he praise God for the, for the good year that he's had? Why didn't he thank God for that? Now, where are all the people who, who worked with him or worked for him, who helped him be successful during the year? Why doesn't he consider blessing someone else with this unexpected wealth? Why instead of building barns, isn't he talking about ways that he could be a blessing to someone else? Why is he focused so much on building the barn? Barn guy's a man who was living the good life. But was he really living a good life? Jesus warns in verse 21, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. This will happen when you're filling your barn with self and you're not rich toward God. So, what are you giving your dash to? What are you devoting your dash to? And can we just go ahead and admit that we all wrestle with the tension of, I want the good life, but I want to have a good life. Can we all just say that's us? Yeah, I want the good life. But I also want to have a good life. Now, back in the day when people used to read newspapers, you could actually read a newspaper and see ads and obituaries on the very same page. And the ads would all tell you how to have great clothes, great cars, great houses. And the obituaries would never say a thing about clothes, cars, or houses. And we read those papers and we want the good life. We want the clothes and the cars and the houses. But we want our obituary to say, you know what, he had a good life. 
some of you have heard this before, but Alfred Nobel made a killing, literally, on explosives. Made a fortune. In fact, he changed the way Western world waged war. One day he read the obituary, and he was in it. He read his own obituary. The paper had made a mistake. It was actually his brother who'd passed away. But the headline caught his eye. Dynamite King Dies. And he read the article, and the article explained how this man who made so much money on this explosive was billed the merchant of death. And he decided, I don't want to be remembered that way. I don't want that to be my legacy. So he took a huge part of his fortune, and he created something called the Nobel Peace Prize. And that's what he's remembered for today. Toward the very end of his life, he wrote this. I wish that every person could read their own obituary in time to rewrite it. Wouldn't it be great to be able to read our own obituary and have time to rewrite it? So Jesus says, be rich toward God. You know, we spend so much time investing in things with, with zero return. Jesus says, invest in something that's lasting. Don't invest in barns. Invest in the kingdom. The kingdom will still be standing long after your barns are gone. Now, there are, there are thousands of books on how to get rich. There's one really good book on how to be rich toward God. And the Bible says, if you're going to invest in something, invest in the kingdom. And every time you strengthen your character, every time you try to be a little bit more like Jesus, you are being rich toward God. And every time that you brag about Jesus, every time you introduce someone to Jesus, every, every time you point someone to Jesus, you're being rich toward God. And every time you act in compassion, help someone, serve someone who probably will never help you back. Every time you invest your time, your energy, your money in kingdom things, you are laying up treasure in heaven. Because all of us were born with a bigger purpose than barns. You know, we are bombarded by the propaganda that counts the things that God doesn't count. And we need to re-examine what it is we're filling and where it is we're putting our riches. What we believe to be the good life. We need to be wise in a world of fools. We need to be rich toward God. Because those barns that you're building, they're not going to add any time to your dash. You're not going to find any joy. You're not going to find any meaning in those barns. Be sure that you are investing in something that's better than barns. That's my encouragement for this morning. We're going to sing a song of encouragement Something's on your heart or on your mind. You want to share with the church family here? We'll invite you to meet us down front in the auditorium here. Let's go ahead and be standing while we sing.